You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I'm Gemma, I help connect business with tech talent and today I'm your host. Welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined with Elin, Frederick, Alexis and Martina. Before we delve deeper into the topic, which is high performance teams, let's work the way around the room and do some introductions. Frederick, why don't you kick us off? Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Gemma. Uh, Frederick Broman, I'm engineering director at Tink, been with the company for almost a year now uh, and have a previous experience in fintech and telecom and sort of various roles running teams of different sizes. Uh, super excited to be here today. Uh, talking about high performance teams is obviously top of mind for most engineering managers at some point. So looking forward to the discussion. Perfect. And how about you, Martina? Yeah, my name is Martina Iglesias and I work as engineering manager in Rodi, which is a small startup that provides developer portals as a service. And so my team is quite small, it's composed of six very talented developers. And before that, I worked as a backend engineer for a number of years. So I am very interested in general developer experience and making developers faster, making teams faster and also cloud native technologies. Perfect. And how about you, Elin? Yeah, so my name is Elin Sjödal and I'm co-founder of Shortcut Sweden. Um, we were just founded in April this year, so we're pretty new. And we're a consult consultancy firm that make apps. Um, and I'm head of people and culture at Shortcut. Great. And then last but not least, Alexis. Hey, yeah, so uh, Alexis Bousson, uh, as you might hear from my last name, I'm born and raised in France. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been living in Stockholm for 15 years. I'm the co-founder and CPO of a company called Circular, uh, which is a uh, network for early stage startups and investors, uh, which allows startups to raise capital faster uh, and manage their investors, as well as for investors to meet exciting startups and uh, manage their portfolio. And uh, yeah, high performance. I mean, you know, as, as you said, Frederick, it's, uh, I mean, it's the big question of any leader in any industry. And, um, and uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it makes a difference between a, a company that excels and one that doesn't. So super excited to, to join this discussion. Perfect. So now we've established some context on each of you. Let's move into the topic a little bit more. So how we always do it is we will go around the room and you've all provided either a question or a statement about how about creating high performance teams. So as usual, we'll just ask for your reasoning behind your question and then give each of you the opportunity to speak about it a little bit more. And um, Martina, I think your question is quite a good start up with how it's worded. So would you like to start with you? Yeah, my question is, uh, what does a high-performing team mean for for each of you? I wanted to ask this because I, I figured for different people, this may mean a different thing, right? And as a developer, I've been in different teams and I considered some of them high-performing. But now I transitioned into an engineering manager role and I think maybe that opinion may change and I was interested in thinking, in, in knowing or understanding what other people are thinking of uh, in this regard. For me, 
and I can speak more of from my perspective as an engineer. I think a high performing team is a team with high trust between the individuals and like a lot of support and connections between the team members, but also high trust from the organization in that team. Um, so perhaps a team that has a very clear direction and they are trusted to make the good choices to reach those the goals and, and that direction. And also perhaps I could mention that some other qualities I could uh, see in this kind of teams are that they continuously try to improve and they always try to iterate and move fast. I agree with you and I think, uh, I mean, having a high level of accountability and trust is imperative for um, for high performance teams. And also I think that a high performance team uh, should be composed by self-driven and self-disciplined individuals. And uh, apart from, from the obvious part that I think every team should have like clear goals, a clear vision and shared values. Um, yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll build on that. Um, and uh, I mean, for me, the, the definition of a high performance team is a team that consistently delivers high value uh, and that uh, and in order for it to be consistent, I feel it, it needs to be sustainable for each person in the team. Uh, so I've seen some teams where uh, the team has been sort of like pressed and, and squeezed uh, uh, continuously. So there's there's been like a, an, an, a, an like an unsustainable way to to create value and um and and so yeah that that's key to make sure that that the team can perform at a high level over a long period of time and uh and essentially it's about like the output of the team as a, as a group is much higher than the output of each individual so i think that's the key uh secret to a high performance team mm. the key result at least I mean, thanks for sharing all those things. Uh, I, I think I only got one thing to add, really. It's that, you know, apart from the things you already mentioned, you know that you are in a high-performing team when there is, you have a lot of fun. I mean, a high-performing team, if you walk into the office Monday morning and you feel that, yeah, I'm with sort of the team that I want to be with because this is the place to be, to push things out fast with high quality and do it with really professional colleagues, then you know you're in a high-performing environment. Yeah, I think that's super important to have fun. Uh, it's one of the most important things. Frederick, just to push you on that a little bit further, do you think the culture in the workplace is one of the key areas for creating a high performance team? Um, maybe not the key. I think the fun kind of comes out of the other things that you guys mentioned. I mean, if you have a clear purpose and a clear goal, if you continuously work on improving your day-to-day -day work, I mean, removing waste and making sure they become more efficient, you're focusing on pushing value out, at the end of the day, you're going to have a lot of fun because you are working together with people who are trying to do the same thing as you, and that creates a very good atmosphere. So I, I kind of feel that the culture comes out of the way of working and not the other way around. Well, I have to I have to disagree there as a as a head of culture. Obviously, I think that culture is is one of the most important things in a company. And I think that if you have a culture where people uh, like a climate of openness, if you will, people dare to be themselves. And I think 
that's when you can have the most fun. Mm. Yeah, maybe they're not, you know, contradicting. I, I think that, I mean, I think there are many aspects to becoming a high-performing team. Right? We, we, somebody mentioned trust before. Uh, I think that's key, right? If you can't trust your colleagues, it's going to be super hard to to become a high-performing team. And you know, in order to become a trustful environment, yeah, you need you need to be open. You need to be able to be vulnerable and you know show show who you really are, being authentic in your situation. So yeah. Mm. And I mean, culture is extremely dynamic it's like not there's no one person that can just take control of the culture and uh, but then there is uh, companies that are clueless about what culture they have and companies that actually take some direction of the culture they have and uh, and I think they're like actually stating out your the values of the, the company values can actually help if you if you take them in action so you actually uh, make sure that the the leaders of the company actually understand these values. Why they, and and everybody in the company understand why we stand for these values, and how we, and and actually like the leaders of the company start with the that behavior and and make sure that they live, and and act with with the 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 behavior uh, uh, desired from the culture. That's great. I think that's really interesting how you all kind of got very different opinions that all link together the same facts so they make it quite a similar opinion by the end. That's how very interesting. Um, Alexis, do you want to talk about your question a little bit more um, and expand on like how to feel psychologically safe and how you grow your team? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I'd, uh, I'm going to, I think, Frederick, you were the one who had the question of how to build high performance teams. And I think that would be kind of a nice uh, uh, transition at this moment. And I'm, I'm really curious about that question, actually. So how to build a high performance team? Uh, anyone wants to give it a go? Yeah. I mean, that, that's sort of, you know, if you could answer that question, you'd be the, the millionaire, right? Uh, because you write the book and sell loads of copies. Uh, I mean, I think there are some some key elements, and we we kind of been touching upon them already, right? I mean, uh, I would say that um, having a, a, a clear goal and a clear scope is probably the first thing that at least I would worry about. To making sure that the team has a purpose, you know what you're actually targeting, because if that's mixed or unclear, it's very hard for people to work together towards a common goal, right? Um, I think that uh, I think Martina mentioned the continuous improvement. I think that's also key. Uh, if you're focusing on making your day-to-day -day life a little bit better every day, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna be a little bit faster every day. Uh, and I think that's key. You know, you remove the stuff that is blocking you from becoming faster. And having that sort of a little bit defensive attitude is actually a very, very good way of becoming. Uh, becoming faster. Uh, do you have a way to to do it? Yeah, I think there are some some fairly simple rules that you can apply. I mean, one obvious one is is you know having retros where you don't actually just look at the previous period, but you 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 kind of decide what is the one thing we're gonna change for the next period that we can follow up and see uh, 
did that actually make us faster or not? So you don't make your retros too complex. You, you sort of say that, okay, if we fix one thing every, every two weeks over time, that's actually going to change quite a lot. So dumb it down, change few things at a time, make it measurable. That, that, that would be one thing. But then, then I think also when you, I think a stand-ups is, is a great way of doing it. You know, you could sort of discuss topics and well, yesterday, I uh, ran into this thing. It caused me to do manual work because of this. And today I'm going to spend a couple of hours automating that way. I mean, if you get sort of a team into that habit of sort of continuously removing waste that they run into, you, you, you will become faster over time. Mm. Yeah, I think the personally, I mean, the retrospective, I think is the, the most important and the most interesting aspect of the Scrum uh, framework uh, is, is really like the idea that everybody starts kind of like from the same framework, but then because you have the retrospective uh, integrated into the framework, you end up with teams that that use Scrum or Agile in completely different ways because every like every sprint, you're identifying that that one thing or those two things, like very few things that you can improve. And I think that's that's uh, super interesting. Mm. Um, so and and Martina, like uh, how 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 do you uh, see that you could build a high performance team? I think if I think about the values that we've been mentioning, like trust, sustainability, um, goal setting and trying to move together towards that direction. Um, there's another value that I, I think is connected to what you said as well, which is um, I like team members that value the performance of the team more than their own performance meaning that if you always try to work towards the, the team goal rather than your own personal goals, I think that's also something that I'd like to kind of promote within my team so that everyone is moving forward towards this common goal for everyone. So the way I, I like to do this, apart from my conversations in one-on-ones with everyone is in the retros as well, trying to ask questions to, to kind of direct a team towards these common goals and, and that kind of mindset. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think also it's important to have a learning mindset and to celebrate uh, people that have the courage uh, to come with new ideas because new ideas, that's how we innovate. Right. So so I think we should um, encourage people to, to speak up, share ideas, and even sometimes uh, celebrate failure because um, you have, I mean, you cannot learn if you don't make mistakes as well. And uh, we want to, at Shortcut, we want to create this climate of openness where it's okay to fail. Uh, it does not necessarily mean it's good to fail, but uh, if you learn from your mistakes, it's, it's a good thing, uh, I think. And I think that, uh, being vulnerable in that sense can uh, can help the team to to move forward. Yeah, I totally agree. And then back back to to your question, Gemma, about psychological safety. So that's a that's something that that has been very important for me the past years. Uh, so pretty much, Google did a, a massive research where they spent a, like a lot of money uh, took in some uh, some researchers to identify 
what's the one thing uh, that creates high performance teams? And they looked at everything. They looked at uh, background, um, uh, diversity amongst the team, micromanagement versus uh, super uh, independent teams, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, they actually like, they got kind of stuck. Like they couldn't find the one thing because they would find some teams with uh, super smart individuals uh, that were uh, very sort of like uh, polite and, and building on each other's thoughts and stuff like this. But then they would find a, a, another team sort of having that same behavior, but not performing as well, even though every, every individual was super smart. So they sort of got stuck until uh, they came across this idea of, of um, this concept of psychological safety, which is the, the idea that uh, people in the team can uh, share their beliefs and ideas and uh, ask questions without the having a, a feeling that they will be embarrassed or uh, rejected by the group. And that is an extremely powerful idea because when you establish a psychological safety inside of a team, uh, people start to actually really ideate with each other and co-create on each other's uh, uh, um, ideas and thoughts and so so it's a very powerful concept and uh, and the, the what they found is that teams that are psychologically safe tend to have sort of a, a speaking time where everybody roughly speaks about as much obviously some people will speak more some a little bit less but you have a you don't have one person like running the show uh, you also and you also have higher empathy than in other teams, and it doesn't mean that they are uh, uh, like emotional quotient geniuses. It simply means that the team has has tuned in. The individuals on the team have sort of like gotten to know each other to a level where they can see if a person comes in in the morning and has is having a bad day, or they can sort of like read each other and tune into each other's emotions and 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 energy uh, uh, deeper. Uh, and and that that's the one thing that Google has found, which I think is is fascinating. What can we do as managers or leaders in a team to promote that psychological safety? So so one um, one in my previous uh, uh, the, the company where I worked, uh, I was running the standups at the beginning, and then one person on the team said, "Hey, like, why don't we do so that every person in the team runs the standups once per uh, per sprint or per week?" And that sort of like removed me from being central in the standup and sort of like gave uh, it, it stopped being like everybody sort of like sharing the standup with me, and rather everybody sharing the standup with everybody. So it, it's like it's with those small things where you sort of like make sure that there is a, a platform and a, a group where people are sharing information and ideas with each other rather than with, with one person. Um, so, so, so that's really one, one key aspect. So we're actually going to have a, a workshop next week uh, where we're going to practice psychological safety. And uh, I've prepared some small uh, exercises. So we're going to meet up in smaller groups. We're going to be around five people. And we're going to have and uh, we're going to talk about psychological safety, how it can help us as a team. And I'm going to have uh, uh, so these small exercises will be uh, where we will share 
stuff about ourselves and really open up to each other. And um, that is something that I've seen in other teams. I mean, that I've seen helped a lot. So. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think that, I mean, one of the things we can do is lead by example here uh, because people will do what we do. So if you um, if you show that you actually care about people, I mean, really care you know, that you take interest, uh, you know, you ask, you first ask about, you know, how they are and how they feel before we move into work that you actually take an interest. Um, that uh, you show up and you you're authentic yourself right uh, you know you you you're happy to uh, be vulnerable you're happy to share where you are with things also emotionally uh people will see that that's okay and uh will show them how you know that they can open up and this is you're trying to create an environment but it's okay to open up and i think that's you know as a manager you had quite a lot of influence on how how the rest of the team will behave when it comes to those kind of things. Yeah, I think that's... I, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I really like this, that idea of showing that you care about the people. Yeah, I agree. And also the, the fact that you, you live as you learn, so you don't have you just have your culture written down on a paper or um, that you say, oh, we're so open at this company, but that you, you act, actually live as you learn uh, as well. I think that's super important. I have a favorite uh, product development quote, which I just bash on the team all the time, but it's doing is better than showing is better than explaining. And I think it's the same with that type of behavior. It's like, it's like you have to do, uh, you have to, you, you cannot just explain you, and, and you really have to, to, to do the behavior uh, in order for, for it to come into the team, for sure. Yeah, otherwise, I think you'll you'll break, break the trust in the team and the people who are aligned with your initial values, they will uh, they will move on and they will not like to work with you if, you if you don't live as you learn. And I think in something else that we practice in my team that I really like is the being blameless always. So when there is an incident or a problem, uh, being blameless for us means we blame the system. We don't blame the individuals or the people. If there was a mistake, that mistake happened because the system allowed that mistake. So I think that's that's something that has been really helpful for us. And uh, I'd like to build on that. There's a, a book that I really, really enjoyed by uh, Kim Scott, which is called Radical Candor. And uh, the basic idea is to care personally and challenge directly. Uh, and my variant is care personally and communicate directly. And the idea is like, uh, back to your point, Frederick, about like uh, caring personally about the individual members in the team is extremely important. Uh, and then, uh, but then there's also this idea that if you, if you care personally, but you don't communicate directly, you end up uh, having teams where that are a little bit clueless on how their performance is. And uh, so that's where communicating directly comes in. And I think uh, that's that's been something super interesting uh, to 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 work with, to actually not just say when people are doing a good job, but also to confront them with, okay, this delivery is actually not on par with expectations. So I think while it's good to 
have to, to not have a blame uh, uh, culture and definitely not blame and, and definitely not communicate this sort of thing uh, in front of the group. I think it's also very important to have direct communication with the individuals in the team and uh, so that they, they know what is expected and they know both when they're doing great and when they're not doing great and being clear about the feedback. So what, what can they do to improve the delivery? And I've found that when I've practiced that, it has given so much more credibility to when I tell them that was great, like you're doing a great job because they know that when I say that, I mean it. Um, yeah. Coming back to previous question about how performing teams, I think I think this is true to say that in high performing teams where there's a high degree of trust, uh, being openly frank with when things go wrong, even on an individual problem, individual basis is not really seen as a problem. You can actually discuss that in the group, right? You know, uh, you did this, that had this effect, and now we need to talk about this. You know, you can you can actually have that kind of dialogue openly without fear, without mistrust uh, in, in, in a team that, you know, is high performing. I think, I think that's, that's, that's a little bit of the magic to it. I think that's, that's part of being open. You cannot just be open about all the good things, but, but also like you cannot be afraid of conflicts, but you have to communicate. And because if, if uh, I don't know my flaws, how, how can I improve? So I think I really agree with you, Alexis. I think it's super important to be uh, to communicate that, and to uh, and that also helps people to step out of their comfort zone. How would you, if imagine you get a a new group of people that don't know each other, and you would need to or you want to make them a great high performing team? Do you have any recipes for? Um, helping them gain this kind of trust? So that is a, a little bit of what we're trying to do now with, with our workshop, because we were a small company that was founded now in April, and then we acquired a company and that was actually bigger than us. So that was, uh, we had our culture, there. they had their culture, and we have to try to blend. So um, I think that's where these kind of exercises can help where you, we have questions uh, such as, can you tell us something you're proud about? Can you tell me something you really care about and value in life? And then if, if you share that with a group, I think you'll uh, get, get some kind of a bond. That's my hope anyways. <laughs> yeah. I mean, depending on how much time you have, sharing life stories is very useful just to get a feel for people, right? You can sort of spend 30, 45 minutes just talking about important events in your life leading up to where you are today. I think that's a very good way to get, at least to get a start, starting point for getting a sense of people. So. And uh, I've actually found something with all of these um, uh, online communications uh, through the Corona times, I found that in the conversations when I end the meeting with, um, and, and finally, um, how, how are you doing? Instead of like asking that at the beginning and it's like, yeah, it's all good, how are you? And then you kind of like move on. Uh, asking that at the end of the conversation I've found has much more authentic uh, answers actually, because people are sort of like, whoa, I thought I was done with the meeting. And now you're asking me how I'm doing, which means that you, you actually 
you mean the question like you you because it's not a, a usual place to ask that question so so I found that that has really built a lot of trust and and uh, I'm, I'm building right now a, a team that is growing quite fast and so uh, so so seeing the people is is uh, is some and asking for their opinion uh, really like sort of sincerely wanting to hear people's uh, ideas and thoughts on things uh, that has been uh, like that has drastically increased and and shortcut the the time to to trust and and having fun and feeling of meaningfulness and contribution to the team. I think that's a really great point. I think you've all spoke about that wonderfully. Um, and I think it kind of links into Elin's question about being remote and not having people physically in the office. Have you found that to be a barrier towards it? Um, Elin, if you want to explain your question a little bit further. Yeah, so we found out, I mean, especially since we acquired this company during Corona, there's actually a few people in, in this uh, new company that we acquired that I never met. And so my question is, how can you engage these people that are not physically at the office? Because now we had, I mean, it's been optional for employees to come into the office and we want to keep it that way at least um, some days a week because we don't want to force anyone to get into the office. Um but it's also hard to engage someone and build trust, I think, if if we never meet them. Yeah, so um, I can I can start here. So I've had some team members both in my previous uh, company and in this company that I've actually never met. And um, and so so it's uh, there. I found also that uh, like you know, a lot of companies use Slack or some sort of like text-based or, or uh, like high-frequency messaging uh, tool, and and there, just giving a call has been uh, very very useful for bonding uh, for with people with the cameras on. And uh, there are some people that I, I consider them like friends, even though I've never met them, just because of these exchanges, these authentic exchanges uh, over voice and, and video. So I think that's that really has a powerful uh, impact. Uh, Frederick, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a hard one, right? I mean, I agree with you, Alexis. It's, it's definitely possible to build relationships without meeting up, but it, it requires more effort, I think. Um, and I, I'm sort of tempting to say that, yeah, I mean, there are some things we we do purely online as well you know we we do have game nights we have sort of joint dinners where everybody eating you know their own stuff uh, in front of a computer when sort of we can have a good laugh and it sort of works right i mean it definitely helps but i am I'm, I'm i'm sort of also thinking it's, it's really hard to replace the physical interaction right when you actually meet people uh, face to face and so i i don't think there's a or at least i don't know if there is a silver bullet at the same time obviously there are companies that building their entire engineering organization on remote first right uh, so it's definitely possible to do it but um, yeah yeah we actually are fully remote and we plan to stay remote um, i've been working remotely for a few years now and i can say that in other companies um, the meetings that were remote they were like efficient and so on but Perhaps the relationships were not so close in a way. 
And something very simple, but that we were lacking was the videos. We were kind of lazy, so we decided to just have audio and we didn't see each other's faces um, on a daily basis. And that's one thing that I can compare to my many actual work where we always have the camera on so we, we can see if we are like making perhaps a strange gesture with our faces, you know, sometimes you don't want to speak up, but someone sees that you are like maybe holding up, so they ask you and that kind of encourages more communication. So that's, that has helped. Um, other things are what you mentioned, Frederick, being social as well, not just having very efficient meetings, uh, perhaps keeping meetings so that every every meeting, the first five minutes or so, we're going to be just chatting, things like that. We have team lunches, and we also have something called uh, donuts, um, which are short 20-minute meetings in the mornings, perhaps before stand-up, uh, so that we can just join the stand-up call a bit early, and if we want to, if we feel chatty that day, we will join and just talk about our weekends, so on. I think that that has helped bonding a lot. That is nice. And, and when you guys have these social events online, uh, is it mandatory for your employees to, to join them? Because that's something that I found tricky. The, the events that we have that are not mandatory is the same people that does not show up to those meetings. Right. In this case, we have lunches and we are a small company, so it, I don't think I have any case of someone not really wanting to join. I think it's something we are looking forward to in this case. Yeah, the that's very nice. And I think uh, that in, in our company, I don't think it's it, that they don't want to join, but we're also a consultancy firm. So a lot of our, our employees are at clients' offices and obviously they have um, meetings with, with the client and stuff. So maybe it's, sometimes it's like they cannot join, but also we don't want to lose these people. I mean, we don't want to, we want to be available for everyone, but um, I think I find that tricky sometimes. Yeah, I can see how that can be more challenging. Um, Alexis, what do you think? So, so yeah, so for, for me, it's really like uh, giving calls instead of uh, being on endless uh, Slack threads and it doesn't need to be a booked call. You can just call somebody up, have the camera on, uh, have a good laugh as well. Uh, and uh, and then once back like going back to my previous point like asking how they're doing uh, at the end and not only at the beginning so you actually sort of like bond for real and 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 see the person uh, that's that's a very good advice I never thought about that uh, but it makes sense that it would give a more authentic answer if you ask it at the end of the conversation because I know myself I mean if someone's in the beginning of a meeting like how are you doing I'm like good now let's start I'm terrible for doing that I if anyone asks me how I am the answer is always good um, it's just something I need to work on myself um, and lastly Frederick do you want to talk about your question a little bit more yeah, we sort of touched upon. Yeah, we've touched on it, haven't we? So, um, uh, you know, my my question was around basically, you know, if you find yourself in a new team situation, how do you? What are some of the things you would start working on in order to create a high performing team? Um, you know, I don't know if anybody has anything to add to that already, but we we sort of been through most of that already. I feel. 
Yeah, I think it's, uh, I can add one thing. And uh, I think it's important for us to always like remind ourselves that people not might not see or view a problem or an issue in the same way as we are. And it's, I think that might be even more important now when it's all remote things going on. And to not assume that people understood like a challenge the same way you understood it and try to walk in that person's shoes a little and to be uh, humble about that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I would say like ask questions. Like sometimes I ask like uh, I ask so so somebody will ask my opinion on something because you know I'm, I'm as as CPO I'm usually like dragged into some deliveries and people will d demonstrate something, ask me what I think about it, and then I'll usually like share my opinion, but also like ask them what they think about it and say like you know and and really sort of engage with. Uh, sort of like not them seeing me as like I come in and share my opinions on something then they iterate come back to me but really sort of like having this co-creation moment uh, and that has been also like super super valuable because I see that 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 shows to the team that and of course like when they share their opinions I am like I want to know that's why I ask and and so that that authenticity in the question really has made the team um, far more willing to to challenge my assumptions, challenge my opinions, uh, give ideas that uh, that they have, and and uh, it's been super valuable. And that doesn't mean that I, of course, implement all the ideas, but at least they've been voiced, and we can bounce on it and, and think of something else. So um, yeah, asking authentic questions. I think that also shows that you care, which is what we talked about before as well, mm. and starts building that trust between the team and you, I guess. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's also important to know that you you don't always have to have an answer. Like you said, Alexis, it's good to ask, like whoever gave you the question, to ask for their opinions. Perfect. Now I'm going to ask you all a question. If you were a member of your team, so on your high performing team, if you were a member of it, what do you think your team actually think makes them high performing? So flip it from your your standpoint and think about your developers and your engineers. What do you think makes them think I, I'm successful at work? Um. I would say that uh, it's the sense of belonging, um, the sense that they know where we're headed and they know how they contribute to, to that goal. So it's a sense of belonging to something, to a team that's on a mission somewhere. Perhaps something as well around knowing that you have been able to consistently reach goals with your team. What about you, Frederick? What do you think they think makes them high performing? Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's hard to answer for somebody else, right? But I, I, I think, I think um, they, they. Uh, I mean, I, I meet a lot of people I think who are quite inspired by colleagues. I'm lucky to be in a place where we have quite a lot of competent 
developers and I think that people find it inspiring to work with other competent people and I think that a lot of people would say that that spurs them on trying to sort of you know they're constantly learning there's always somebody to sort of ask questions from and look up to and I think that would be one of the key factors I think people would say is the you know why why we are high performing. And Elin? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you guys, like sense of belonging, motivation, and, and to have this uh, environment where you keep learning. That's great. Well, I'm trying to think what I'd say. Um, I think I'd say belong is definitely a big one, that sense of trust. I know when I joined, we all made sure we made a big effort to get to know each other. Um, and we have like a buddy system here. So when you first join, you get like a buddy who's not your manager, who you can, you know, talk to about anything, which is nice because it gives you like someone to ask a question to who's not like scary and your manager, um, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> Yeah, before we wrap it up, has anybody else got anything they want to ask, anything they want to share? No? Wonderful. Well, thank you all for taking part. It's been great speaking to you all and thank you for listening. Um, if you want to get involved in the podcast, feel free to reach out to us and if not, enjoy your day.